Welcome to the Talking About Life podcast. I am your host, Ian Lepkowski, or Kowski on Twitter. My handle is at K-O-W-S-K-Y underscore E-T-H, as in the first three letters of Ethereum, enskowski.eth. We always start the show by being grateful and thanking God or energy or source of the universe or, you know, however you see something, if you see something is larger than yourself for whatever magic, you know, brings these guests to the show, gets people to say yes and come on. Then we also thank the guest today. We're very lucky to have yet another guest on the show. That is Schmooper Girl, Alyssa Jordan, ESQ, Ethics First. That is uh, the Twitter handle at SCH. M-U-P-E-R-G-I-R-L. Her Twitter bio reads, Lawyer, not yours. Ethics, evangelist. Women in tech and Web3 advocate. Speaker slash moderator. <laughs> Reformed couch potato. Firestarter. Hashtag rug radio. Hashtag spaces host. So thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate you giving your time to us. Now, did you want to just uh, you know tell us how you're doing tonight and how are you doing in general? doing great Kowski just just living the dream it's a it's a Monday it's a great time to to get back into it just coming off a, a an amazing weekend watching my daughter um compete in taekwondo at a national tournament and uh she did really well in a world ranked ring so we're 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 living it up today how about you Hey, congrats. That's amazing. I don't I don't have anything so spectacular. That's really a, a feat competing on a world level. Me, I competed on a <laughs> on a local level. I, I ended my paternity leave and went back to work today. Um, so <laughs> much, much smaller feat. But for me, it was like, you know, just doing a rusty thing for the first time in a while getting back. But it, it was fun. You know, I saw a lot of people I hadn't seen in a while. And uh, generally, I like what I do at work and stuff. So it, it was good getting back into it. Yeah, now, I, had couple, I had a couple of days off at the end of last week, so had to jump back into it today. So it's a it's a good day. It's a good Monday. Good. Happy to hear that you're doing well today. Now, the show we always say is about positivity and passion. So we always ask, you know, what are you most passionate about in life? You know, or if you have like a top few things or however you want to describe it. So it's funny. Um, there... I would really normally struggle with kind of how to like articulate what I'm most passionate about, but I had a really cool interaction with my daughter on the plane ride home that really summed it up really easily. So I'd like to just thank the universe for creating wonderful opportunities for me to easily share things. Um, so I, I showed my, my, my bonus daughter, Brielle, a TikTok um, that I had seen that was really moving and it was about something called the bystander effect. And I don't know how many of you like really know much about the bystander effect. I think we've all heard some iteration of a story, but essentially the quick story goes like this. A woman had a class, a college class, and the whole class had about 30 kids, 30 students in it. And they went to the class. And this time when they went to class, they're in the classroom, all of the desks were in a circle. And in the middle of that circle was a desk that had a fishbowl with a fish in it. And the professor told everyone, do not say a word, do not do anything other than sit here, otherwise you fail my class for the entire semester. So students were really caught off guard, they didn't know quite how to process that because it was really out of character for this professor to behave this way. So the professor then goes to the fishbowl, takes the fish out of the fishbowl, puts it on the desk and walks out of the room. So everyone in the room is sitting there watching the fish flop around. 
um, and struggle. And after several minutes, um, finally, a another student said, fuck this, like, this isn't cool, um, went and put the fish back in the bowl. But this was like after probably like eight, nine minutes. So as it turns out, this fish was a special kind of fish that can live outside of water for a substantial period of time. But the professor came back in and said to everybody, look what the world has done to you. Look what the world has done to you has caused you to be so self-serving that when life is being taken in front of you, you don't eat, you're paralyzed. So that was like a lesson on bystander effect. So if me in summary, what I'm most passionate about is speaking up and doing something to prevent something bad from happening to other people. That is what I'm most passionate about. I'm passionate about advocating, speaking up, looking out not only for myself and my family, my crew, but for others as well. Because when we keep our mouth shut, we let the world turn us into self-serving people who only look out for ourselves and, you know, watch other people die. And it's unnecessary. And it's completely preventable. Yeah, what I know um, about the... Uh... The bystander effect. I don't know. I think maybe I learned it in either like a sociology class or a psychology class, either in college or somewhere along the way. I don't know if you have you ever heard of Kitty Genovese? Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah. So I'm from New York and it was like kind of a big deal here. But um, I mean, it was like in the 60s, but it was like, you know, a woman. She was like a bartender. Got, um, you know, I mean, it's a little bit dark, but just to keep it real, I mean, this shit happens. This is what it's about. Like, this is what what it's about in real life. She's a woman. She got raped and stabbed and murdered, like outside this apartment building, and she was like screaming for help. And like, you know, everybody just, I guess, assumed somebody else would call the police or something. And you know, like it happened for like. I don't know, a period of time where people argued, like, maybe if somebody called, like, right away or something, something like she wouldn't have died or something or someone would have got there or someone could have rushed outside or, so, you know, something. Um, but no one did anything, you know, even though it was, like, very, like, audible. Um, so that was, like, that was, like, what I heard about the bystander effect. And I was like, yeah, that's fucked up. Like, if I was in that position, you know, I'd just fucking call the police. It's like, all right, even if someone else does, like, two people do, like, fucking call them, you know? You know, that type of shit, whatever. Do something, you know? Well, I think the more... The more substantial aspect of that for me and talking to my daughter about it was what does it look like when it feels like you have something to potentially lose by speaking up? And and that shifts the that shifts the the principled nature of what we're talking about a little bit, because speaking up is really hard um, and in and, and situations like that example you just gave. That's not hard. You know, it's. You know, not that's just being lazy. People making the assumption someone else is doing it or just not doing it. You mean maybe more like on a like a subway or something, and there's like an element where if like you speak up, you could potentially be in like danger, kind of thing. Or even, or even if speaking up uh, might make you unpopular, or might make you lose. Like in this instance with the class, they said that they they were told they would be failed for the semester and they would fail the class. You know, so when when you have something personally to lose. Because, but speaking up is the right thing to do. That's really where this conflict comes up that I see that I I really like, I was really compelled by this, this of all things, a TikTok. And I shared it with her because I wanted her to understand that, well, it was a great connection point for her because she's 14. So we were able to have like a really interesting conversation about it. And she actually retold the story at school today too. But really in summary, it like, it really summarizes for me that, I have experienced in my life repeatedly what happens when someone doesn't stick up for me. And it 
it's really shitty when people are in the position to have your back or to just open their mouth and can save you from a traumatic experience, from being treated unfairly, from from a variety of things. And they just don't do it because they don't want to get caught up in they don't want to get caught by shrapnel that might fall fly when, you know, the, because of the disruption that speaking up has. And my passion really lies in the fact that I am extremely motivated and and encouraged by the fact that speaking up um, is part of my purpose on, on this planet. Um, I really hate confrontation, but I'm really good at it. I don't I don't know how that works. I don't know why that works, but um, seeing something and saying something, even when it's really really hard and you have a lot to lose, could save someone's life. It could change someone's life. It could alter the trajectory of of everything for another human being that might just do something that changes the world and it's and I think it's it's highly um underrated. Alyssa, let me ask you like let's say you know someone's listening and they're like um kind of inspired right but they're like still feeling like a little meek or timid right they're like on the fence they're like i don't know i'm not the type of person that usually speaks up like you know i don't i don't go out in public and like talk and like you know i don't i don't do spaces podcasts i'm a listener you know whatever like you know it's just like how do i speak up but like you're right it i should in these situations maybe i don't have to do this and that but like then i should but i'm struggling I don't know. Is there something, you know, or like, like you said, for it's like a kid that's like, okay, I want to speak up, but I don't want to be unpopular. Like, you know, you said you're kind of giving advice on this now. Like, what advice would you give on it? So something that like I've been asked before in, in sort of different contexts, but it applies here that I give advice on is if you find that you're a little bit more of an introverted person or you're not a person who um, is comfortable speaking up, speaking out, whatever it is. Find yourself an extroverted friend who can do it. We all have an extroverted big mouth friend that, that's willing to do that. And if you need one, hit me up. I, I'm happy to be your extroverted friend. But I think that that the lesson there really is, is that start small. Go to people that you know you can trust. Go to people you know who are safe. And speak up to them if speaking up to an authority just isn't quite there for you yet or speaking up to a, someone who's regarded as an influencer or celebrity whatever you know isn't isn't for you yet you know i think that when you when you feel supported um it's a lot easier to to advocate not only for yourself but for others but more importantly for yourself um so stick up for yourself so that's the first thing i do is find a friend start there a confident a trusted person um and then practice sticking up for yourself in small situations until you can to can get to situations where you may be more comfortable, you know, advocating, you know, potentially for someone else if the situation calls for it. I think it takes practice. It's it's a it's a lot to. Um, I think people highly underestimate the fact that when you speak up like someone like me I'm known for like opening my mouth and saying hard things and um I I, I try to do so really respectfully um and professionally if the situation calls for it um but it's taken a lot of practice it's taken a lot of times of being in a situation that's really uncomfortable um 
to find the courage to 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 not have my voice shake as much to not feel as nervous to not but I'll tell you what like it that doesn't go away I've it it doesn't just go away so if you're going to walk into this expecting that you like suddenly you're going to feel invincible and strong and powerful and and it's just going to be easy it's not so set the right expectation um, as well as probably a really good piece of advice is that it's still going to be really hard and it's still going to be really scary and you do scary things anyway. You know, it's reassuring that you say that it's funny. I was just talking to my wife uh, before this podcast and I was mentioning, I was like, you know, it's weird. Like I, for some reason I always get butterflies in the stomach. Like before I do a podcast, before I do like public speaking, like in college, like I had to deliver papers to like an auditorium. It's like, like, and I would always get nervous and, you know, people say, oh, you did a pretty good job. Like I never got like really bad feedback from it. Um, but I still get the butterflies always. And it's like, you're kind of saying the same thing. I was like, oh, great. Like, I guess it's not just me that, uh, you know, sometimes gets that feeling or always, almost always gets that feeling still. And then, you know, I always feel good about it afterwards, but before there's just that little, uh, that little butterflies feeling. So thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah, of course. I, I think that when you give a shit about anything, you should be a little bit nervous because you want it to go well and you want to do a good job at it. Um, if it, it's real easy to not get nervous about something you really don't give a shit about because you don't have a dog in the fight, you don't have a any skin in the game, you know. So I think that um, anytime you really, really care deeply about someone or something or an issue or a topic or a community or or what have you, um, it's it's very normal to get some some jitters ahead of ahead of doing it because you want to do you want to. You want to speak well for someone and you want to be able to, um, you know, represent yourself well and and get your point across. Uh, I mean, especially when you're advocating for others. I mean, listen, I went to law school. They don't they don't teach you how to be an effective advocate in law school. What they teach you is how to read the law, how to interpret the law, how to analyze the law. They teach you how to like form form, you know, positions and you have a little bit of practice at, you know, speaking those things out loud during like an oral argument or something, but they don't teach you how to be an advocate. Um, so it takes practice. Like you see trial attorneys and, and, and advocates in the, in the space that work for really big organizations, you know, in the, across the country speaking on like really important matters. They, they didn't do that. They didn't just like wake up one day and be like, I think I'm going to be a staunch advocate and public advocate for this really like, crazy issue you know they they didn't just wake up one day and do it um they they practiced at it and they they had to work at it yeah and i think i think just kind of touching back what uh what you said before like for people who are kind of on the fence or struggling it's like do what you can right like like you know where do you start i think you start with the acknowledgement that no matter who you are you can do something you know to kind of speak up or you could tell somebody else like you gave all these different options so it's like nobody nobody's in a position where you feel like you know if you feel uncomfortable and there's something you want to express like i wouldn't just let that go like i would find some way shape or form to express that um because even though you're not comfortable with one way like there definitely should be other ways that you could express that sort of thing yeah, I, I think it's really important not just to to talk about things that make you uncomfortable, but it's also one of those things that, you know, when you see someone else being mistreated or something that, that that's not, you well, know. Well, that, that should make you uncomfortable, I would hope. 
Well, yeah, I yeah, but I mean, I, th- I th- the, the, the the distinction for me is like you know, person makes you personally uncomfortable because it's offensive to you versus it makes you uncomfortable because right, you know, right. you know, you're advocating for someone else. So that that's it's a good distinction. You're right. But yeah, I, I I did mean what you said. I didn't mean just like someone someone makes you uncomfortable because they like smell bad or something. <laughs> I, I I meant to say uh, referring back to what you. Meant. I mean, like, listen, if like if someone's body order is really that serious for you, I guess like you do you boo. But I don't, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I need to do that. I mean, if, if I'm gonna see them every day, maybe. I mean, if it's like for the first time I'm meeting them, definitely not. <laughs> that's that's not my place. You gotta give people the benefit of the doubt too. You don't know what they've been through that day. That's what I'm saying. I mean, everyone's got a rough day. Um, now, let me ask you this. Like the the number one thing in your bio or the number, you know, the first thing you have listed is lawyer, not yours. And then it's ethics. Um, you know, does the ethics tie into what you do with law? Like, I don't 100 percent know, like, you know, are you speaking like in a courtroom or like how does that all uh, kind of like follow up? Yeah, so um, uh, I'm a lawyer uh, because that's what I'm licensed to do. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a lawyer for a company. So. Uh, I have established my career um, throughout the years as a compliance and ethics professional who became a lawyer um, and integrated uh, legal analysis and 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 advocacy into the framework of the career that I had already established. So compliance and ethics um, and law are all things that I specialize in specifically for corporate structures. So business ethics, business law, regulatory compliance, things like that. So my career went from being, you know, in a, you know, I started off as a social worker. Um, I worked in mental health clinics and then I moved over to managed care, i.e. insurance, um, and did some stuff in the health insurance space for a while until I became an attorney. And once I did that, then I expanded over into some other areas and now most recently i'm the chief compliance officer and in-house counsel for a tech company let me ask you this you're i I mean i feel like it's like undeniable the passion like in your voice and in your words and in everything you're saying passion and compassion is there something like you know like where did where does all this come from like is it something like early in your life is it something like you know, like, is it many different things? Is it like kind of like a series of events? Like where did, like, where did all this inspiration that you have and all this passion come from to go like in this direction and, you know, like be such like an advocate? You know, I think it goes back to the original story I kind of started with about that bystander effect is I had a a, a few situations when I was growing up where people who should have spoken up for me and had my back didn't. And, um, I mean, honestly and truly, like that that's the root of all of it. But also, like I was also a kid that grew up pretty poor and I saw lawyers on TV. They looked really rich and I want I didn't want to be poor. And so, like, I wanted to be a lawyer from a really young age um, for the purposes of like financial gain. And they were always so smart and dressed well and whatever. And I, I that's that was attractive to me whenever I was really young. Um, I actually didn't end up taking a path directly towards becoming a lawyer either. I didn't go to law school until I was in my early thirties and I was a single mom working full-time during the day, going to law school full-time at night. So, you know, I didn't have a straight path to get there, but I think like as a kid, it was rooted in, 
you know, that dream of what a lawyer is supposed to be or what we saw on TV. And then as I got older, the passion for ethics and compliance and advocacy came from the fact that I knew exactly how it felt to not be advocated for. So I learned how to advocate for myself. And then it turned into advocating for others who maybe didn't know how to advocate for themselves or didn't have the resources to advocate for themselves. And I carried that through all the sort of like, it's a thread that runs through my entire career. Um, but, you know, now looking back, I can see that my draw to that really was rooted in the fact that um, someone should have, someone should have likely spoken up for me or at least heard me when I spoke up and it wasn't, and I wasn't heard and I wasn't advocated for. So that's where I believe the root of that passion lies. Now, I don't know if it's like intentional or not. Do you want to like touch on that at all? Like what the situations were rather pass over that. I'm not here to push boundaries, but just, you know, kind of asking. Yeah, we're not going to get into that tonight. Not don't have to get into that. That's totally fine. Let me let me ask you this in your career and in what you're doing right now. Um, like, do you define success as like, you know, do you have like a long term vision of success? Like, is it like a multi tier thing? Like, what what do you kind of like see success as like as, um you know, as like a lawyer in your career as like someone who's advocating for ethics? Um, You know, I, I, I consider success for me is when my my guidance and my advice pushes the needle in the right direction. Um, so it's very much not like this big shiny object in the far off distant that I'm constantly striving towards. It's little wins um, that move the needle uh, along the way. So from a career perspective, for what it means for me in what I do and if I'm effective, what I do, if I'm finding success of what I'm doing, it's when my my counsel is taken and 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 used and applied in a way that makes what I'm working on better for the for the end user, the population of people who stands to benefit from the organization that I'm working for or with making the right decision that's in the best interest of that of the community of the user community. So that's what success looks like for me if I'm effective at what I'm doing. As I far as, go ahead, sorry. No, yeah, you go. As far as like what success looks like for me as an individual, success, I, I'm, I, I don't measure that by anything other than are, is my family healthy, happy, are my, are my bills reasonably paid and, um, am I able to wake up the next day and, and do it all over again? That's, 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 that's success. Right now, it's a 14-year-old doing ninja kicks right in front of me in the middle of the living room while I'm talking to you right now. Like, it's a successful day. You know, I, it's it's really just not like this. I don't have this pie in the sky, you know, beacon at the top of a hill waiting for me that once I reach it, I will say that I've I've been successful. I really measure it in these small kind of micro, micro needle moves. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Like, I didn't know what you were talking about maybe a year ago, but now that I'm a I'm a dad recently, my daughter's uh, going to be three months and, you know, a few days here. And every every time I do something that makes her smile or laugh, I feel very successful. You know what I mean? Like, at least in that moment, like, you know, it's just it's just like a pure, pure joy. Just, you know, experiencing that, uh, 
you know, that passion or, you know, whatever that magic is like a parent child kind of thing. So I, I get it talking about just, you know, watching your kid in the living room being a win. So I get that. Would you say then I would think yes, but that you uh, kind of have this balance then of like happy and hungry. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the sauce to anything. Um, you know, I see my, my awesome husbands in the audience. Hello. Um, you know, I, I, I think that that's a balance we've had to strike together through the years. It's like a, a symbiotic thing that we've kind of come in and out of as individuals and then have you know, like merged together as a couple when we do that is that, um, and I, and I've talked about this before and like, uh, like I've, I've written this down for myself is what it means to be hungry and hungry, but not be ungrateful. I think that that's a really delicate balance that has to be struck because while you're always pursuing and you're always ambitious, um, pushing forward, looking to grow, holding on to the gratitude of what you have already and making sure that you will know and understand that everything you have you are, is exactly what you need at that time. So, um, that that's that's the secret sauce and the balance there is is embracing that gratitude while also just pushing yourself further to 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 go further i love it positive vibe positive message let me ask you like i i just said recently i'm a girl dad here is there anything that like you know as a as an ethics advocate you know as a woman like is there something you know, as a, as a parent, you know, as a person, as anything, right? Like, is there something I should know maybe as a girl dad or as a parent or whatever, like that, you know, any tips or something the average person may not know, or a first time parent may not know that kind of thing. I don't know if it's, you know, something a first time parent may not know, but it may not be intuitive. And, and I love that Mel's in the audience too, because this is something we've talked about. I think the most underrated thing parents don't teach their kids is how to make choices for themselves and giving them an opportunity to also advocate for themselves. Um, that is something that I've worked really hard with both of my kids is to empower them to speak up for themselves. If, an, if a conversation has to be had with a teacher, they can have that conversation. I'm here on standby if they need me. If something's going on with friends or kids or whatever, I'm not, don't helicopter your parent helicopter parent your way into that situation talk to the parents because you're going to get involved in it like it's not your beef to fix it's theirs to fix i think we really sleep on kids ability that when they're empowered with the right with with the information we 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 underestimate their ability to make choices for themselves and advocate for themselves and when we give them that power and allow them to execute on it, they will blow you away every time. If we just give them, it also teaches them to trust themselves. Um, so if there's anything that I could teach my, like that I want my, she's in the next room listening to me right now, is I want her to feel confident and comfortable that once she has all the information and she's heard all the information that she's confident in making educated choices for herself and feel supported in doing that. Now, as you're parenting and watching your child, how do you find that balance, right, between, you know, you love, you know, you love the world out of them. You don't want to see them like really fall down too hard, you know, or mess up, but you know, they have to fail to succeed, right? Like, you know, so you don't want to not help them at all, but you don't want to help them too much and spoil them. Like, where's that sweet spot? Or like, how do you, how do you approach that? Well, I think it's about 
teaching what it means to have all the information before making a decision. So it's about being thoughtful and thinking things through, you know, and making sure that they that they're empowered to find or receive all the information that's there. But the bottom line is there is no cure for your fear that your kids are going to fail. Like there's no cure for that. They may fail. Like that's reality. And there's nothing that buffers that or makes that easier. And it's really kind of accepting the fact that that's reality and that you don't have a ton of control over that and uh, and have sometimes allowing it to happen. Um, I've it it it's just a part of the journey sometimes. Um, I, I again, I it it's just a part of reality, like the it's you know, and it, when they're younger, I think it really is is it's freedom within limits. That's how I like to think about it. Um, when they're younger and you're talking about, you know, safety and things like that, you can give them freedom, but you got to give them some limits on that freedom, you know, like, Hey, you know, whatever. And, and even with like, even with the, the youngest here, you know, with, and, and even with my son, it was when they got cell phones, we had a lot of parental controls on it, but they, we get, we didn't like give them time limits on when they had to be on it or off of it. We let them kind of exercise some restraint on it. If it became a problem, we called it back. We reined it in. I mean, there are tons of different examples, but I think that that's, you know, that's really the way that I would, uh, I would say you strike that balance. And I guess, you know, just kind of said you were touching on like some things for uh, younger kids. Like, you know, I, I have the three month old, so like, you know, she's, she's pretty controlled at the moment. Like she, she's not too free. I mean, I let her be as free as I can. I'm but... pretty sure you don't, you can't control when she sleeps, eats or goes to the bed. Does that when she wants to. That I have no control, right? You know, but we, you know, we got to keep her in the bassinet and all that. But anything, anything, if you, you know, if you think back, remember anything, um, you know, from your first days as a parent, you know, anything like, you know, I should kind of keep in mind, like personally. You know, for like, for like super littles, um, it, you know, introduce them to, to diversity, um, diversity of music, diversity of ideas, diversity of colors, diversity of books and, and stimuli. I, I think that that's probably one of the the best things that as uh, a mom of little of a little that that I did um, was introduce them to even if it's stuff you don't really like. Um, I think it's really important just to give them a lot of diversity and flavors when they start seeing, eating that baby food. Like if like I'm telling you, never. Just don't give them the stuff you only like to eat. Give them options. Let them hear different music um, so they can figure out for themselves what, they, what they're eventually going to like. You know, I think that that's super important. Yeah, hit them with that like baby Einstein and stuff, right? Where they like mix in all different sorts of sounds and lights and shapes and uh, characters and music. You heard about that? Oh, yeah, that's been around for a hot minute. Yeah, like it's just it's a it's not even just that like play different music in the car. Like, you know, have gangster rap day if you need to, and then have, you know, metal day and then have, you know, you know, some Adele uh, or whatever, like, like mix it up, let them listen to different things and kind of experience the world. Um, not so much in a vacuum. Between me and her mother, she'll probably listen to uh, everything but country. I don't know. Someone else will, she'll have to find that on her own. But neither of us are too privy to country, but pretty much everything in between and around that where I one of us is into where both of us are. So that, that won't be a problem. I'm, I love music. 
But uh, speaking of music, just real quick, does that mean there's a side? What's what's your favorite music? Do you have like a favorite band or anything like that? Or yeah, so like I have really eclectic um, taste in music that ranges from oh god, just I was I had license to ill memorized when it first came out. I'm not gonna say what year that was, but I was young and listened to License to Ill like it was like on repeat on a on a cassette tape okay um it was it was good shit um so you know that's how I kind of grew up I I I love Weezer Weezer is my all-time favorite band um to this day you put any Weezer song on I love Queen I love Broadway show tunes I'm a sucker for a Broadway soundtrack um and I also love Harry Styles and I some days I need Beyonce and some days I need T-Swift and sometimes I need you know Selena Gomez or sometimes I'm you know just listening to Imagine Dragons or Coldplay like whatever but I I tend towards like rock alternative uh for the majority of of stuff that I that I enjoy um but no one no one better fuck with Weezer they're my favorite I'm into literally all of that and more. I love that. I also like uh I like techno a lot, all sorts of different techno bands. I like Dave Matthews, like all sorts of all sorts of different music. I like hip hop, uh literally everything. Country, even some stuff like I know Kid Rock went country. Some songs are like okay. I'm not not heavy on the country. I will say uh I took a trip to the state of Washington, and when you're out there in the mountains, it feels right. Then then the country match. But like I live in the suburbs and it just I don't know, it just it's not right for the environment. It doesn't it doesn't match up. Uh I, that's just how I feel about it. I grew up on really old school country, so like I have a certain respect for like old school country. Like the old old stuff. Um I don't knock anyone for liking it. Yeah, like I grew well, no, like I said, I have a healthy respect. I don't particularly like it. I just have a <laughs> I love it. Um, but like and then like in the nineties, like Garth Brooks was okay. Like I, I enjoyed some Garth Brooks. Like, like there's a few songs from like the nineties that like everything from the nineties was great anyway. But you know, either way, like there's some country I can tolerate a little bit more um from the 90s or like the really early stuff but otherwise it's a no for me on country as well i actually make fun of my husband a lot when he listens to it yeah i'm i'm happy to hear that. unless you're in the country then it's kind of you know when you see the cows it's like all right i get it um but otherwise yeah not nah. uh you know when in rome it's that kind of thing for me now just kind of touching back on what we were talking about before um like i said you got a lot of confidence a lot of passion me, you know, when I was kind of trying to figure out what I'm trying to do, I still say, like, I still don't know if I know what I want to be when I grow up kind of thing. You know, I'm still tasting the world, you know, at 31 and having a good time and being a dad and all that. Um, did you ever have a point? Like, I, I switched my major like three times in college, like, and then still did nothing relating uh, to any of them. I, I went through um, what I do. I went through business and then psychology and then English and then ended up like now I fix computers. I sold insurance for a while. Like, I did all sorts of different things, like all sorts of different sales, customer service, like waiter, all this stuff. Um, did you did you just have like a straightforward journey? Did you have like um, like you know everybody obviously fails in life? Did you have any like particular like like failures, but failures where you were like, I don't know if I want to fucking be a lawyer, if I don't maybe fuck this kind of thing. Or were you always like totally convicted? Yeah, no, like, um, no. <laughs> Bad joke. I, I grew again, I said I grew up kind of poor. So like, it wasn't like in, in the scope of for me to like even have aspirations to do much. And, and I was, when I was in high school, I, I struggled with ADD and had some, some, 
I had really great grades, but I wasn't at the top of the class. And, you know, I, you know, again, I came from a poor family. So my guidance counselor told me that I would probably be better suited to go to secretarial school than try to go to college. Um, you know, fuck that guy anyway. Um, boo. But, um, <laughs> I'm, I mean, like when I, when I was younger, I worked in you know, like odd jobs. I did, you know, I worked, a. At McDonald's and Long John Silver's. I did fast food. I worked retail for a little bit. I was a cash office manager for a, a chain called Farmore, P-H-A-R-M-O-R, back whenever I was going to college. So I worked, I worked like a lot of hours during the week and then went to school full time in my undergrad. Um, so like I did stuff like that. But again, like it wasn't linear for me. I I had I had wanted to go to law school when I was a shorter shortly after my I I finished my undergraduate degree, um, but I I was I was married at the time and my husband at that time just really wasn't supportive of that so I ended up going to graduate school getting my master's degree instead. We ended up getting divorced the Dece like I got divorced in October and I graduated with my master's degree in December so thanks for that timing. Um, but no, like I failed at plenty and changed my trajectory plenty. Like when I graduated from high school, I was really religious. Um, I was very into like Christianity and the church and everything else. And um, I went to I spent my entire summer after graduating from high school as a missionary in a in a in another country. Um, and Wait, it was actually, tell me about yeah, that sounds, that sounds wild. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was I was there to you know talk to people about Jesus and stuff. Like that's what I went there for. And, um, I was there and during that time I was there was when I really had an epiphany that changed my trajectory on religion and actually changed my trajectory on my education because I had been accepted to a private Christian college on scholarship, um, from, for whenever I got back from this trip, I was, it was the whole summer after graduation. I was supposed to come back and go to college at this college that, you know, again, private Christian school. Uh, while I was in doing this missions work, while I was there, I was like looking around and I had this like realization as I was looking around that the audacity that I needed to have to go into someone else's country where they had established, you know, customs, religion and, and, and beliefs and tell them that what they believed was wrong and what I believe was right felt completely wrong to me. It, 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 it felt disgusting to me. And it was in that moment that I realized, like, I, like, I, who the hell am I? Who am I to go tell someone else that this way is the right way and what they believe is the wrong way? Like, it seemed so absurd to me. So when I got back from that trip, I disenrolled from the Christian college and decided to go to Penn State instead. And I kind of didn't look back. Where, where, where did you say that was? What country was that in? Uh, I went to Albania. What do they speak like Spanish over? I don't. I don't want to be insensitive. What, what like <laughs> their language is Albanian. They're a country just north of Greece on the Adriatic Sea. Do you speak like so? Do you speak their language or like how did that work? No, we had interpreters. Um, I can say one thing in Albanian, and it's it's you have big ears like a donkey. That's all I can say in Albanian. Albanian. <laughs> So I, I hopefully you didn't say that too much. <laughs> no, actually, they took my interpreters taught me that. So I could be saying some, something completely different. It could not even be that. 
actually Facebook friends with a couple of the guys that I had met in Albania, and I should probably message them and ask them, like, are you telling me to, am I telling people I'm actually a prostitute, or is this actually what I'm saying? Oh, my, yeah, you might want to confirm that. Now, so did, what kind of, like, objections were you, like, so, yeah, were you getting, like, like tough feedback? So, yeah, I didn't know it wasn't that you were talking to people who had no religion and you were just saying, hey, try this. It was people that already had pre-established firm beliefs, and you were like, no, fuck yeah, that, do this. There was no discrimination. It, they didn't care. Like, they plopped you in these villages, and they didn't care. Like, they were just like, go tell, spread the gospel. Go tell them and convince these people to to change their ways. You know, it doesn't matter. If it's not our way, it's wrong. You know, that that was the indoctrination. And and it, like, I, I was, I, I had grown up with it, so I didn't, question like i've certainly questioned things throughout my life but i didn't grow up in an environment where asking questions about something fundamental like that was even was 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 welcomed let alone entertained in any way shape or form you know so once i'm over in in this country and i'm and i'm sitting there and i'm i'm looking around at these beautiful people who are you know living their lives and these these indignant little shits from America come into their village and tell them what they believe. Like it, it just see once I said like, like I, it was like that moment where I was talking to myself like, well, when you say it like that, you sound like a real asshole. Well, you know, I, I felt like a real asshole. It, it felt completely wrong to me. Um, and, and, and it felt wrong to me on many levels, most importantly, spiritually, which is why I made the decision. And at that time that it was no longer, um, that was no longer going to be a part of my journey. Before you kind of got to that point where you were like, I got to get out of here. Like what, what percentage of the people you were dealing with were like hostile as opposed to like receptive or to like what degrees to like what you were saying, like to like what you were trying to convert them. And what did they believe to begin with? So like, it, there wasn't like necessarily hostility. Um, it was just awkward. Um, but there were a lot of, um, of Muslim people, Jewish people, there was like a good mix of like Greek Orthodox. There were a lot of Orthodox Jews um, and Greek Orthodox. There was like a healthy mix because it was like it had been Albania had been through some shit for a while. Um, so there was there was a lot of um, there was a lot of different a lot of different representations there from a religious perspective. I mean, we were there doing good, too. We were there helping like with schools and you know, stuff like that, doing stuff for kids. And there was a lot of like really good, like volunteer work being done for the communities. There it wasn't just, you know, straight, you know, show up and try to indoctrinate people. But, um, so that's another reason why there was a lot of resistance either. You know, you show up with like bagfuls of candy for kids in a village, the kids aren't going to get mad at you. Uh, but and trying to tell them about Jesus. That's right. Here's a, here's a bag of candy. Now sit and listen to us. Now sit and listen to this production that we're going to, you know, try to convince you to 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 change your ways. Do you have different pitches like for different like if, you, if you're if you're trying to convert like a Jew or like a Muslim, like was there different pitches for different kind of yeah. like starting points? This is not my job. And it was something I did for a summer. So I'm not a subject matter <laughs> on what it means to like. I just got curious. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to harp on it. Sorry. The method that the organization I went with used was there was like this dramatic play that was done without that had voiceover in their language. So like we acted in a play that had a message to it that essentially told the story of Jesus in a creative way to compel people to 
you know, whatever. So once once you were like totally like repelled by that and realized that wasn't the right fit for you, you decided then like a hundred percent lawyer, or was it still kind of like a not not like you know was it still kind of like a waving journey since then, or that that moment defined it? I don't think that that moment defined whether or not I was going to become a lawyer or not. What it definitely defined for me was that I was no longer participating in that journey of my, that that part of my spiritual or lack thereof journey was over and that I was changing trajectory, which then allowed me to open up where I was going to be educated for my undergraduate degree. I, I, I had, um, I got married when I was a junior in college and I had my, sorry, I got, I had my son the, the May before I started my senior year of college. So I had, I got married young, I got pregnant young and I had a baby. So when I graduated from undergrad and my husband at that time wasn't necessarily supportive of me going to law school, I didn't think that law school was going to be even in the cards for me at that point. I had made different life choices. The decision to get to go back towards law was once I was divorced and I was a single mom and I was starting to figure out like what is my purpose and what do I want to do with this life. You know, my I I got divorced at like 26, 27 years old, like I was really young. So it didn't make sense for me to believe that my life was over, so I just started kind of exploring um, what it, what would it mean to actually follow through on this thing that I wanted to do since I was a kid? What would that look like? So I took the LSAT and I was like, oh shit, I did pretty good on that. Okay. Let me apply to some law schools. Well, shit, I'm getting, I'm getting into law schools. And then that turned into, well, I guess I better apply for financial aid to pay for this shit. Cause I'm going. And then the next thing you know, I was in it and I was doing it. Um, so, you know, the, the, the spiritual slash religious journey wasn't so much related to the journey of finally settling in and, and embracing my, my desire to become an advocate. I, they're not really related other than I don't know that I would have gotten here had I stayed on the trajectory that I was on with where I was religiously because that culture of that specific religion was not really um, encouraging of women, you know, growing and expanding and, you know, doing things differently. So, you know, they're sort of like not related, but I guess they could be mildly. Now, at this point in your life, you you know, you were saying like you kind of went away from the whole like obviously missionary thing. That was just like a small kind of phase and period. Um, but you still are like 100 percent ethics first. So, you know, there's a part of ethics that obviously comes from religion and a Christian upbringing. And there's a lot of good positive values there. You know, I would imagine some of that could be an influence. But at this point where you kind of did take a step back from that. Um, you know, is that still a guiding force? Is those or are those morals still kind of like a backbone for like, you know, where your ethics come from? Is there like another religion or are there other religions or philosophies or like, you know, where where does your kind of like ethics come or like where is it rooted in now? And do you still have like some sort of like spiritual or God type belief? Um, you know, or how has that evolved over the years to this point? Yeah, so I definitely believe in in power greater than me. I, I don't believe that it's within the confines of any man-made 
religion that is on this earth. I don't think that it's, I think that most organized religion is an attempt to make sense of things that we can't make sense out of. And therefore a lot of the rules that are written into religions as we know it are, are have are in place to really just control people and to um, create order. Um, so for me, I, I'm not religious in any way. I think I'm more spiritual, at least as it relates to like energy and what that means. Um, what guides my ethos is not hurting people. I think that when you can disconnect your desire, I think when you can connect rather, you can connect your desire to do, take care of people and too good, too good for people because it's the right thing to do, not because you're scared to go to hell. It's there's something very freeing in that, and it actually helps amplify your own internal ethos so much more to not rely on something else external as this this thing. I think we are all built. I think we all have inside of us the things that we know that we should be doing to take care of one another, and it's selfishness and self-serving nonsense that gets in the way with gets in the way of that most of the time it's you know desiring things that you're not that that aren't yours or being jealous of people envying other people and when we can actually just take a step back and be guided by the fact that if we take care of one another and we just don't hurt one another there's just something powerful in that so i you know my ethics is really driven by that and my commitment to to not stand by and watch other people get hurt when it's preventable. I think that's a beautiful answer. And I just want to also shout out, like, you know, going through, like, you know, everything you went through, like going through divorce and like, you know, fucking going back and forth from like, you know, different countries and like, you know, your conflicts with religion, like, you know, not everybody would keep going through that. So I always like to, you know, kind of sunshine or like spotlight, like give a little shout out, like, you know, thumbs up, cheers, whatever you want to say, give positivity, make positivity louder um, to people who do something fucking cool like that, because, you know, that's what I believe in. I believe if you, you know, have a obstacle, you know, it's a challenge. It's something to learn from and grow from. You said, you know, you were 26 and you were like, not going to be fucking defeated. You were going to keep going in life. You were going to keep figuring out what you wanted to do. You kind of had that moment, um, where people say like, if you don't know what you want to do, think back to like what you wanted to do as a kid. And you said, yeah, like you had this kind of long, like, you know, this deep sensation of like, all right, I always kind of wanted to do this. And then you're like, now's the time to go after it. You know, you had this like pattern break or pattern disrupt moment in your life. And rather than like getting lost in the chaos, you know, they say chaos is like, you know, uh, crazy, but it's also an opportunity. You know, you like took the opportunity and you went in like a different direction, but it was a positive direction for you. Um, you know, so I love to hear that. So just like, you know, kudos kind of thing. I wanted to ask, um, cause I think it's interesting. I find a pattern in a lot of people who find some sort of success, right. Is that they do fail a bunch or do go through some sort of dark journey. So that said, if you could go back in time, would you alter your path and be like, hey, I need to like, you know, tell a younger self, like, I don't want to do any of these types of things. You want to get started with this earlier. You're going to end up being a lawyer. Or do you feel like no way? Like that was all some crazy shit. And like, I ended up not wanting to do this and I did this and I did that. But that was all essential and part of the journey. And I wouldn't change a thing or somewhere in between. I think it's somewhere in between for me. Like I probably would have like tried, I would probably go back and tell myself like, don't go to fucking grad school. Like that's a waste of money. You're going to be in insurmountable student loan debt. Let's like take that mountain off of it 
and just not make it that bad. So I probably like, you know, knowing what I know now and like, that's always, it's always so easy. Hindsight being 2020, knowing what you know now, what would you go back and change? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't change much except for some of the student loan debt. Truthfully. Um, I think the path that I need, I needed to do what I needed to do to get on the path that I got the, to get on this path. Um, you know, nothing makes you value honesty than being lied to. Nothing makes you value the ability to advocate for others is when someone didn't stick up for you. Nothing makes you value the things that, that, that make you who you are more than when you didn't have it. And I wouldn't have that perspective if I not if I had not gone through some of the things that I had gone through. So I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to rob myself or my kids of my learning the lessons from those tough experiences because I think that they've gleaned the benefit of that. I think my marriage has also gleaned the benefit of it as well. Like I had a failed marriage, but my marriage my failed first failed marriage is is one of the biggest reasons why I have a strong second marriage. You know, like. Being a single mom of a little boy whenever I was in my 20s made me a better bonus mom to to the to my to my to my bonus daughter down the road. Being, you know, going through some really tough situations in my 20s with friendships made me a much better friend to people today. You know, so I, there's not there's not a lot I would change, but I've definitely changed student loan debt. That shit sucks. <laughs> student student loan that would be a good thing to change yeah i don't know if you ever saw that movie uh the butterfly effect with ashton kutcher but every time he changes something someone's fucking head explodes or they lose an arm or something horrible happens and it's like it's just crazy and that movie made me think i would not change anything because i i just i i would be so scared if i changed something thinking it made something better and it had this like ripple effect and something else like worse happened i'd be like holy fuck like yeah obviously something like better could happen but like am i fucking ready to roll cosmic dice like that like i don't fucking think so like i'm not my life my life would have to be pretty fucking in a slummy moment and i'd have to lose all faith to roll some dice like that you know otherwise i believe i'm gonna get out of it somehow and overcome it like i don't know i don't know about rolling dice like that i i would not i wouldn't change a damn thing um now let me just uh tell you here we're in the last 10 minutes here we always do like you know if you like you could do like any sort of like self-promotion so i don't know you know if you have like a website or like you know a few things that people you want to like you know tell them where to follow you there was a few things we didn't get to you know speaker moderator reformed uh couch potato fire starter rug radio you know spaces host i don't know if you want to shout anything out but you know this last 10 minutes is either to do that or we could talk about whatever else but just want to you know, give you the same kind of spotlight we give all the guests. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Um. So Tuesday nights at eight thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, my husband Ron, um, Jordan and I ha host a space uh called Growth Mindset Moment, and it is our weekly spaces that we hold where we talk about growth mindset uh techniques that we've employed or things that we talked about last week. I talked about ADD and ADHD um because I struggle with it. And shared my story and journey about coping skills there. We talk about parenting, marriage, co-parenting with exes. We talk about um, Ron's an endurance athlete, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, purple belt. And he's also a, um, a, a second-degree black belt in Krav Maga. So he talks about a lot about pushing himself physically. 
Um, I'm a reformed couch potato, so I talk about what realistically it looks like for someone to go from inactivity to some activity. I'm not an endurance athlete, so we kind of we talk about all of those different things and kind of ways to to navigate through that. And we are a rug radio uh, production on for that show, and then we also have a podcast on everywhere you get your podcast and you can find any of that information on uh, at the website thestarspodcast.com um so that's where we kind of do our thing there um i i would say that that's probably the biggest thing that i that i would promote come to our spaces we have really fun conversation we do a um we played this or that at the end of every show um g is for great who's down in the audience right now um uh leads does our intro for our uh growth mindset stretch so every week we try to bring something into um to stretch our 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 um minds a little bit and talk about something that's a little bit outside of the normal of what we would normally talk about just to kind of grow and a little bit but uh that's that's really what I'm up to everything else I'm doing is sort of like IRL non web 3 you know I'm a I'm a chief compliance officer at a tech company, a women-owned tech company, and we're changing the world for victims of domestic violence. So I guess if I have a platform, I'm just going to say, you know, domestic violence and domestic abuse is is real and it's uh, present in, in, in the lives of people, whether you realize it or not. So please, you know, support um, your local organizations that help victims and survivors of domestic abuse and domestic violence, you know, get their get their power back. Um, that's something that, you know, at, at my company that I work for, we, we are really, um, proud to provide technology to kind of help that happen and, and to help, you know, save some lives. So, uh, don't forget about, you know, domestic abuse and domestic violence is a real problem in our country and across the world. And, and, you know, if you see something, say something, someone may need your, need your advocacy. One more question I have for you here. Just and yeah, sorry. Wait, actually, before I ask you that question, just definitely want to echo that anyone who's struggling with any sort of those things, kind of what we were saying before, you should definitely come forward. Don't stay in a situation where someone's hurting you, abusing you. I also advocate for like mental health, that sort of thing. If you've like gotten out of a situation like that, like you should try to talk to someone. You may want to make like a psychiatrist. You may need medicine. You may not. I would just say be open to all that type of shit. Um, you know, be open to like, you know, like that there are resources that there's like groups dedicated to help you. There's people like Alyssa, you know, there's advocates, you know, and it's definitely not something where you have to stay in that situation. Um, now, Alyssa, I want to ask you this. How do you find the discipline to kind of, you know, not be a couch potato to have gotten through law school, like all of, all of what you're talking about to speak up, to be an advocate, all of that takes discipline. It's a core element of everything you've said. Uh, it's something I personally struggle with. I'm, I'm like erratic sometimes or creative and I, I find hard finding that discipline. I, I am persistent. So I'll get back to things, but it's like always in this weird path. How do you find it discipline to, to have forged forward the way you have? A necessity. Um, nothing, nothing makes you realize that you have to do something, uh, more than having to do something. Um, and it's really making myself understand the things that I have to do. Um, and they're not optional. So, um, discipline is not intuitive for me either. It's not something that I sit down, like my brain doesn't work that way. It's just literally not wired that way. But, um, necessity, um, 
changes everything. So I, I didn't have an option to fail out of law school, Kowski. I, I would have lost my ass and let myself down and failure wasn't an option. So I had to get through it and I had to do well. I had to pass the bar. Failure wasn't an option. Um, dying young is not an option. So I have to take care of myself, you know, being, you know, sad and miserable is not an option. So I have to choose to not do that sometimes. And that means sometimes putting on my shoes and seeing how they feel to get my workout done is what I have to do. So I don't feel like shit, you know? So it's about making things a necessity. Um, when, when you need to do something, that's what kicks in, you know, when, when you don't have the discipline or motivation necessarily, it's about what you got to do to survive. So I just teach myself that there are certain things that I knew need to do for baseline survival. Yeah. And I love to hear that. And you know, the way I'm hearing that, I think it's like, you know, you take that baseline feeling of like wanting to survive, right? Your back is up against the wall. And instead of like where some people, you know, get like that panic and kind of collapse, you kind of like uh, metabolize or catharsize that feeling into a feeling of like kind of motivation that forges you forward where you kind of have, um, you know, the ability to mentally put like a wall, right, against certain situations. So, right, you feel this fear that other people fear and other people start like picturing the fear and imagining the fear and seeing themselves in the fear. You see the fear and you go, fuck that. You put up this wall, you go, no, you, your verbiage was not an option. This is not an option. That is not an option. So you put all these walls, you know, instead of like uh, mentally going into those things and picturing them and making them more real and you go, what is an option? So, you know, you kind of like close the bad out, you, you kind of spotlight the good uh, and you forge forward with that. So that's the way I'm hearing it, which is super positive. Like I said, show is always about, you know, passion and positivity. So, you know, I love that you're giving that message. Now I'm going to go ahead and say the last, uh, you know, kind of lines here and, you know, thank everybody and close out. Um, you know, I already gave you the self-promotion kind of thing. Is there any, you know, last mic drop kind of thing or last sentences, anything you feel I've not given you opportunity to say that, you know, you do want to say right now? No, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to have a conversation, Kowski. It, it, it's great. Um, thanks for everybody for stopping by and 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 listening and for the support and encouragement. And uh, if anyone needs me uh, for any reason, you can shoot me a DM. Happy to show support and however that you need. Beautiful message. You heard it here. Reach out. You know, we've said it, you know, already, but I'm going to say it again. You know, if you're in a domestic violence or abusive type situation or verbal abuse or physical abuse or some sort of like, you know, neglect or whatever it is, um, you know, don't feel like you have to be alone. There's support groups. There's people. There's, you know, legal matters. So, you know, reach out. There's uh, mental health advocates. You know, there's medicine. There's all sorts of different options. You know, maybe even fucking acupuncture. I don't know. Get a massage. There's different things you could do, you know, but try to, you know, do something that makes you feel better. Exercise, hydrate, all that stuff. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for coming to the show. Want to thank you, uh, you know, of course, Alyssa, for coming on. Thank you for your time. You know, you thank me, so you're welcome, but thank you right back. We always appreciate the guests on the show. I always feel like you said we have a magical conversation. We just open it up. No pushing boundaries. It's like, you know, wherever, you know, life takes us, we're talking about life, and it's for positivity and passion. So, you know, we could talk about, you know, dark things, or we could touch on the bad, but it's to present it in the light of, like, you know, how do you live through the bad and still be good? So that's totally what we did here today, advocating for the law and for people who are, you know, in like a victim place, not to stay in a victim place and to, you know, either reach out or, you know, even become a person that advocates for others, you know, at best. That's the goal. 
Uh, we always say it here. Also, we you know we thank the guests, we thank the listeners. So everybody who's listening, thank you so much. You know, if you liked it, feel free to you know retweet, like all that type of thing. If not, definitely don't do that. It's not chilling for no reason. It's just if you liked it, it's just a reminder. We also uh, come back to thanking God and thanking the universe, however you want to see it. Like you said, something bigger than yourself. I also don't have a formal religion, but I always feel like there's something bigger than me. So that's what I mean when I say God, source, the universe, some type of you know larger energy or something than me. I don't know exactly what. But I feel like God is real and God is good. And kind of going with that, the last thing we always say is if you haven't heard it today, you are loved. The life, uh, the world is full light, life and the world is full of light and dark. Another way to see it is beyond all that, there's a unifying force and that's love. So not only are you loved, you are the force of love, conscious and incarnate. And if you have not heard it today, that's it, folks. You are loved.